0: You are Locked On Bills, your daily Buffalo Bills podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
1: What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and I'm your host of Locked On Bills. Happy Tuesday to you. As promised, we have an important discussion to have today. And my buddy Ben Solak from the draft network, as well as bleeding green nation radio, all the the Eagle stuff that he does as well is going to be the perfect marriage of stuff I want to talk about today here on the podcast. And that is Carson Wentz, Josh Allen. And if there is a cautionary tale to be mindful of, because things are not working out with Carson Wentz in Philadelphia, And they were, right? They had a great Mm -hmm. season in 2017, and they paid him a big contract, and now he could be out the door. And now the Bills are – I don't know if they're in the same spot, but Josh Allen had a great season. There's the opportunity to pay him. And uh, I think there's just a lot of of things to unpack here as we consider whether or not this is a cautionary tale. Last year the narrative was, well, Josh Allen in 2019 was just Mitchell Trubisky, and he was just Blake Bortles – and, um, you know, that's that everything was, was, uh, was fake. Well, Josh Allen answered those questions and he left no doubt with the way he played in 2020. So as we welcome Ben to the podcast here and really unpack this, uh, uh welcome Ben. And, uh this should be fun. I'm really anxious. I have no idea what you're going to say. So this should be really interesting.
0: Well, uh, yeah, go birds. Firstly, obviously that's, that's what you open with. No, it's, uh, we, we, you've had the conversation with i'm sure bills fans and other bills riders i've had it with eagles fans and eagles riders where it's like wow you watched that bills team and by the way that bills team was fun to root for man we didn't get a chance to talk much during the season Bills were awesome congrats that was it was there was so much fun to watch they did so many things well uh we would watch that bills team we would go man this looks like it in 2017 where it was Wentz, where it was like all right third and 13 no problem They probably get this. Right? Yeah. <laughs> there's no issue. You know what I mean? Like he would uh, be running around in the pocket. Josh Allen would be for like four seconds, five seconds. And it was like watching Wentz where it was like, I'm not even concerned. This is good news. This isn't yeah. even bad news. You know, it was that, sur- that it was the, uh, the sensation of watching Allen in 2020 that was similar to watching Wentz in 2017 that elicited the connection. When you like look at it numbers wise and look at it film wise, there's clear differences. But it was the sensation of any given play, any given down, any given odds stacked against him. I could probably pull something out of his butt and get this thing done. Like Mm -hmm. he was just, he was magical to watch in that way. Uh, It's always a lot of fun when you have a quarterback like that. You're always in every game.
1: All right, so we're going to have kind of a fun conversation that's going to turn sour, at least on the Eagles side of things. So I think it's important for us to kind of kick things off by taking us back, Ben. Take us back to when Philadelphia made that move to add Carson Wentz. What was the environment like in terms of coaching, talent that he was surrounded with? And you know, look, despite coming out of North Dakota State, a small school, he became a day-one starter for the Philadelphia Eagles, and I think he played okay as a rookie. In hindsight, mm-hmm. as you kind of package all that together, do you think that he was ready to start and were the Eagles ready to play him?
0: Yes, uh, it's a cautious answer, right? That you know too much now to be able to answer it honestly, maybe as you would have back in 2016. Uh, what's important to remember is when the Eagles drafted Wentz, they had just moved on from Chip Kelly. Uh Roseman, Howie Roseman, the general manager had just retaken control of the front office and they went through a head coaching hiring cycle, not dissimilar to the one they just had with Nick Sirianni where they went for big names and big names said, eh, you know, the Eagles job wasn't viewed as, as, as very exciting. Uh, they had made a lot of chip Kelly oriented picks, you know, Josh Huff, Jordan Matthews, Nelson Aguilar was the wide receiver room. That wasn't really super exciting. The offensive line was viewed as a aging and declining offensive line jason kelsey uh Ch- jason peters we we know that those guys ended up playing very well but there was concerns with the team and the eagles were like big on ben mcadoo and mcadoo was like i'm going to stay with the giants you know that that that's where this team was roseman at this time was really emphasizing his quarterback is king quarterback factory sort of approach he didn't, he didn't give the quarterback factory pr- approach until he drafted hertz but lest we forget they had sam bradford uh in the building right he was Two years, $36 million, I want to say. Uh, and then they had Chase Daniel as well, who they had signed in free agency that year. Three years, $21 million. Both of them in the building. And then they traded up from 13 to 8 with the Dolphins. They, they gave away Kiko Alonso, gave away Byron Maxwell, some of the mistakes in the Chip Kelly era. And Then they went from 8 to 2, mortgaging their future to go get who was presumably QB3 on the depth chart in Carson Wentz. So they had built in one quick offseason from Roseman an environment that was extremely quarterback oriented. Their head coaching hire was Doug Peterson. They brought in uh, Frank Reich and John DiFilippo, who at that time DiFilippo was really starting to be viewed as this good quarterback developer. And everything was pointed directly at the quarterback position. This was all about how we were going to get at least a good starter out of these three. We were going to develop Wentz, and he wouldn't have to start if he didn't need to. And then Teddy Bridgewater towards ACL in Minnesota. Right, And that elicited the Sam Bradford trade, which was a big part of Roseman's quarterback philosophy. Get good quarterbacks in the building, and then when the trade market demands it, you'll have the guy that, you, that, that a team will overpay for. And that's what's hap- what happened with Bradford. They got a first for him. right? And that was a big part of recovering from the, uh, the, the trade they made for Carson Wentz. So you make the, the Bradford deal. Then you have Daniel and Carson Wentz. They elect to start Carson Wentz. They go 7-9 and nine in that season. And Wentz was what you expect a rookie quarterback to be. Uh, he was young, aggressive. Risk-prone, made throws he shouldn't have made, made choices he shouldn't have made, but he was talented. He was exciting. He, he energized the offense. He made plays you know, outside of structure, which was his play style, and he made some really, really good throws. That backside dig to Jordan Matthews in the first game against the Browns in 2016 was, I'm sure, similar to throws that Josh Allen has made in his first couple seasons with the Bills, where it was like, okay, that's talent. You know, there's there's starting quarterbacks in the league right now who don't have that throw in their in their quiver. They don't have that ball. Uh, and you saw the speed with which it came out, the accuracy, the aggressiveness attacking a tight window. And you said, that's the sort of stuff that we want to we grow here. So I think the Eagles were ready to develop a quarterback like Wentz. That was what they were oriented towards, was having a strong quarterback position, having a good room, veterans, good positional coaches. That's what they were going to do. So they were ready for Wentz. Were they, was Wentz ready to start in year one? Arguably not because it was up and down, but I think that experience was very beneficial for him by the time he got to year two and he had already ironed out some of his, his easier issues to iron out. So starting a rookie quarterback versus not is always a tricky conversation, you know, because you you can't see what would have happened otherwise, but I I think you can, you can argue it was to Wentz's benefit, at least on like a one to two year arc, obviously after 2017, 2018, we know that he's kind of crashed back down to earth.
1: Whether it's, you know, kind of staging that environment to add a quarterback or the bills moving from 21 to 12 to seven, or just kind of failing forward, um, in year one, despite a scenario where, you know, the bills had AJ McCarrion and Nate Peterman who won the job. They, you could tell that they weren't really wanting to play Josh Allen necessarily. I feel the parallels already Ben. So let's go to 2017. Now Wentz was terrific a legitimate MVP candidate. I am on record as saying that Wentz was the most indispensable player in the NFL during that season. I thought he was going to be sensational. What made him so successful that year?
0: Man, uh, I a not a really nice confluence of a lot of factors, which is usually the case when it's an MVP season. Usually the case when it's a Super Bowl season. Like you got to get at least, at least a little bit lucky to get it right. You got to have some things break your way. Certainly, there's the guys who who are exceptions that prove the rule. Your your Patrick Mahomes' and your Tom Brady's who are just able to do things so consistently. Um, but for whence it was. The, the, the first and most primary thing is that the offensive coaching staff was built on this idea of collaboration, which has always been big for owner Jeffrey Lurie. And because they collaborated, because they had a head coach in Doug Peterson who was viewed as not necessarily ready for the role, and the Eagles kind of always kept him with a little bit less power than a head coach usually has. Peterson built the offensive game plan Monday to Saturday, but he relied very heavily on Frank Reich to make third down game planning to, to, to address their third down approach. And he relied very heavily on John Filippo to address their red zone approach. So there was a, a collaboration in the coaching staff to build the offense Monday to Saturday. As many have written about in the immediate wake of the 2017 season. And then later on, as Wentz has gotten worse and worse and worse, the Eagles were unsustainably good in those moments. They, they were so good at Saving drives by converting third downs they had no business converting. They were so good at scoring touchdowns when they got into the red area that an average team without those additional edges on those high leverage downs wouldn't have been scoring the same amount of points and wouldn't have been experiencing the same amount of success. So that's one is the the, the Wentz on third down and in the red zone, which has been covered ad nauseum in 2017, inflated just how good he looked. So that that's there. The second thing though is that Wentz was playing extremely aggressively and extremely uh, fast is like the word you want to come up with he was willing to do anything you know what i mean like they're, they're the the Red zone running back wheel throws to a third string running back covered by a linebacker can't even see his helmet. Just drop it in a bucket. There was no throw that he was afraid of. Right, Nelson Aguilar had had, had drop problems last season. I'm gonna bomb it to him sixty yards down the field. You know what I mean? He was living on the edge. He was so comfortable holding to the football and attacking windows. It, it just, just he was the aggressor as a quarterback. He was after everything. You throw that in with an RPO approach that led to him not having to make a lot of pre-snap decisions on pre-snap looks. And that's important. We're going to get to that more later as as he starts to fall, as his play decreases. That RPO system, which opened up the quick game for him, which made the, the underneath passing game easy for him, it was very formulaic. That let the Eagles chunk their way down the field, nickel and dime, nickel and dime, nickel and dime, and then they'd get a Wentz play, and that Wentz play would be worth 45 yards. That Wentz play would be a 30-yard scramble. It'd just be an unbelievable play that that gave them the offensive juice that they need. And so that that season, especially as you started to get to the end of the year when he was making MVP noise with Brady, you started to realize just how much of this offense was formula 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 holy smokes what did Wentz just do formula 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 right they had the the Jay Ajayi, LeGarrette blunt backfield which they were able to change what their running game looked like it was very multiple depending on who they were playing right so like oh this team's going to be light in the box we're just going to hammer LeGarrette blunt hammer 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 RPO RPO bubble screen bubble screen bang Wentz makes a 50 yard throw to Mac Collins and so it, it it was so much about Wentz's peak plays and peak plays, as we know, are unsustainable. But his peak plays really gave them the the, the push over the edge in the twenty seventeen season. So you had, you had a collaborative offensive coaching staff. You had attacking those those the, that yet untapped well that was RPOs, right? The Eagles led the league in RPOs. That was really when the RPO craze hit. So that gave them easy wins against defensive structure. And then when it was go time when it was they really needed a big play. Wentz consistently delivered those peak plays, especially with his legs, especially with extending. And that's how the Eagles' 2017 offense worked.
1: Yeah, the NFL season and college football season are now both behind us, but there's still plenty of sports to bet on. The NBA season is in full swing, and the NHL season is here. There's only one place that has you covered and one place that we trust, and that's betonline.ag. Sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use that promo code LOCKEDON for a 50% welcome bonus. Maybe you enjoy the NBA or you want to put uh, some cash down on the Sabres or another hockey team. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action and don't forget to use that promo code LOCKEDON to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. A quick follow up to that, Ben. At the time, do you remember there being concern about the sustainability of the offense and Wentz's caliber of player? Was it just everything's everything's wonderful? Wentz is uh, legitimately going to be like taking the NFL by storm for years to come, or, or was it just yeah, this is uh, th- right. uh, this is going to be a problem because I don't know if this can continue.
0: The third down in red zone yes absolutely like even as we were in the playoffs right when like Foles took over it was like if Foles is just like a regular quarterback on third down and in the red zone the eagles aren't gonna be nearly as good because wentz was so ludicrously good as Foles was then also ludicrously good on third down in the red zone we came to appreciate just how much it was the coaching staff the eagles would subsequently lose frank reich and john de filippo and so immediately because we we knew that was how the the game planning was structured, we said, this team's going to get a lot worse on the money downs. And so even if the offense remains largely successful, when you go average on the money downs, you're just not going to be as good. That was there. More quietly, there was concern with just like Wentz's accuracy because for as much as his peak plays mattered, Wentz still would just like miss shallows like he would like it, it was like watching Josh Allen film at Wyoming where you were like okay you can make that throw how can you not make this throw like what mm-hmm. is going on here right there was conversation about his mechanics about it being his release speed it really to me was always just like how he liked to be in the pocket Wentz would always just like three step five step drop put his feet down and sit it was very Roethlisbergian right just like this is where I am if I get hit I get hit I'm six five two forty I am 240. i do not give a hoot you know what I mean he would just big. And so there'd be times where he would throw a, a, a swing route to a running back. And you'd be like, dude, just turn your hips like this. Make this easier on yourself. This isn't hard. Uh, so there were still concerns with like snap to snap accuracy, especially like short intermediate window stuff like that. But at, at the time it was like, all right, well, if he's going to be so good on the, 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 um, the more difficult throws, on the, the, the peak throws, then if he misses a, a second and eight shallow, if he misses a second eight curl, it doesn't matter. Third and eight is he's, he's the best quarterback in the league. You know what I mean? So there was that concern. And I think looking back now, you come to realize his accuracy levels did not indicate that of an elite quarterback. But the peak plays were, were holding him up a little bit. They were, they were a, a, a crutch for him a little bit. And as those vanished, then the accuracy issues started to matter more.
1: So, we know that 2017 ended with the Philadelphia Eagles winning the Super Bowl. Thank you. We're all very appreciative of that happening. And, Go Birds. You know, the Tom Brady not winning the Super Bowl that year. But uh, for Carson Wentz, the season ended too soon with the with knee injury. So, he, he comes back in 2018, uh, missed time again due to injury. But Philadelphia, after that season, leading into 2019 in June, they gave him a four-year million contract extension with $107 million guaranteed that kept him under contract through 2024. Now you have the benefit of hindsight, Ben. At that time, based on the discussion we've had to this point, did they have enough information to warrant that deal?
0: Yes. And it's tricky because you have to measure it relative to, other teams and the information that they have when they make their deals. Right. Like if it were me as a GM, I don't know what would be my standard. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know how, how much I would need to see. That's a terrifying, you know, franchise defining decision. And actually that, that phrase there, franchise defining decision is an important one. Uh, when we talk about, should the bills extend Allen, that phrase is going to matter. But for the Eagles, I I remember when they signed the extension, uh, I, I posted a little, flowchart on Twitter, just like be an idiot because people were going over it. And I was like, all right, so Carson Wentz is your extended as your quarterback. Should you extend it? And I was just like, yes, because the conversation then was about, should they extend him now and try to beat the DAC of the golf deal, deals? Or should they wait to make sure he's healthy in 2019 and extend him later and, and incur the risk of signing a bigger deal in golf, having to beat the DAC deal, which the DAC deal would subsequently never happen, but we thought it was going to happen. Uh, do you want to have to pay more? than the Rams and the and the Cowboys do uh, to make sure that he is healthy. And on that flow chart, I have little arrows that go to, like, Wentz is hurt or Wentz plays poorly. And they all point to the same little circle, which just says, okay, well, your team is screwed anyway, so it doesn't matter if you sign him now or you sign him later, or whatever. Like, if he's bad, he's bad. You were going to sign him. So it was presumed at the time, right? Like, there was no moment at which we were like, is this a good idea? Knowing what I know now, yes, there's, you know, if the Eagles hadn't signed that extension, they'd be in such a better spot. But at the time you had seen the caliber of play from 2017. And then in 2018, he just never was healthy. We have to remember he got benched with fractured vertebra that apparently the medical staff had missed for months, right? Like this, there was nobody in NFL media in Philadelphia media or in the Eagles fan base who was like, See, Wentz is bad. We were all like, the medical staff has no idea what they're doing. This was uh, 2018, the training camp. He took the first few days of camp. He was taking first team drive. He was running around. He was looking great. He was looking accurate. It was old Wentz. And then suddenly they benched him during training camp. And we were all asking Doug. I was there at that camp. We were like, Doug, Carson was at training camp, and now he's not anymore. Why? And Doug was like, caution. We were all like, he's not hurt more? And he was like, no, it's fine. We were all like, what are you talking about? You just pulled him. Like, how is this real? And so he never moved in 2018 the way he moved in 2017. He, he never had that, that, that same explosiveness, that same agility. It, it seemed like he had put on weight, like muscle weight, but he seemed like he had, he had put on some size and wasn't as quick. That would continue, but it didn't seem debilitating. It didn't seem prohibitive to him being successful. The Eagles had so many injuries in 2018, and the, the, the receiver room was starting to get weak. And so it was like, all right, this is, uh, he, was, he was rushed back from injury. He shouldn't be playing right now. This was an unhealthy season. The Eagles were way too aggressive in getting him back on the field. Get him healthy for 2019, and everything's going to be okay. So, extend him, because he's going to get back to the 2017 levels once he's healthy.
1: So, Ben, what the heck happened this year? I mean, yeah. he, <laughs> he played pretty well in 2019. I know that he has a newborn baby, and that affects your sleep. Uh, I, I know about <laughs> that. But, uh, I mean, the guy was dreadful this year. And now, not only was he benched for Jalen Hurts, there's rumblings that – um, you could be on the move and we're recording this on Friday afternoon. It's going to post on Tuesday. So we don't, we don't know what can happen over the weekend,
0: but I mean, what, what in the world happened this year? The arc of when so like 2017 MVP, 2018 banged up, injured 2019 healthy teams, terrible. All the wide receivers are injured. So on and so forth. You got to link it to the Doug Peterson arc. And the Doug Peterson, cause because the Wentz-Peterson relationship, and we can even say the Wentz, Peterson, Roseman, Frank Reich, Lurie, kind of whole, just like the relationships within the building are what matter here. Peterson was brought in and he was given very little power rel- for a head coach, right? It was, you know, we're 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 gonna give, we're gonna fill out your offensive coaching staff with guys that we want. We're going to bring in Jim Schwartz. He's going to run the defense. You're not going to have any say over personnel, right? There was the, the quote Nick Sirianni gave where he was like, yeah, I don't have control over the, the, the final 53-man roster come August. And people went nuts over this. And it's like, yeah, Peterson never did, which, which is that they hired him in 2016. He didn't have control over the 53. He won the Super Bowl in 2017. And in the 2018 season, he was like, no, I don't want any more personnel control. I want Roseman to continue to control the 53, which is fine. Like that had worked, but the Eagles had never given a coach that, that sort of a power. There were rumors that after the 2016 season, in which the Eagles went seven and nine with a rookie quarterback, that they were going to promote Frank Reich, to head coach and demote Doug Peterson, the offensive coordinator. That was a thing that was around. There were multiple, they interviewed Jim Schwartz for the head coaching job. After one season in 2017, right, they wanted to potentially take Peterson out of that top role. He wins with with uh, with 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 Foles the Super Bowl. They come out in 2018. They don't have as good of a season, and they start talking about making changes to his offensive coaching staff again. Peterson was all about internal promotions. Mike Groh became the wide receiver coach, offensive coordinator. Press Taylor became the passing game coordinator. They wanted to get rid of these guys, bring in new guys. They finally did it after the 2019 season. Brought in Rich Gangarella, brought in Marty Morningweg. There was no integration of these guys' approach at all. The Eagles would run Doug Peterson's offense for six plays, then suddenly walk out and under-center wide zone play action with no ramp up, just like random Scangarello play in the middle of everything. So there's no continuity. All of that collaboration from the Reich, Filippo Peterson era was completely lost. Peterson had an uh, offensive coaching staff that could not support him, right? Which is what he was used to is what he had. He had guys that he did not want in the building trying to influence his offense. And he did not have control over a personnel. Take all of that and put Wentz back into this. Wentz loses. He gets injured. Foles wins the Super Bowl everybody's talking about should Foles be the starting quarterback. Wentz has to go back in the locker room. Foles is the quarterback again. 2018, he struggles. Uh, He goes down. Foles comes in as the quarterback. Chris Long lights a shrine in his locker for Nick Foles with little, like, candles with Nick Foles on it because he's, like, the playoff god. Eagles start winning more football games. They make the playoffs again. They go to Chicago. Nick Foles beats the Bears in Chicago. Double doink. Wentz has missed two playoffs in a row. Foles has won two playoff game, two, a playoff game in two consecutive seasons. They finally get rid of Foles. Wentz is in the 2019 season. Bad. They, they barely eke into the playoffs. Wentz gets injured on the second offensive play. It's just been agonizing for this guy to try to get a playoff win and to hold down this starting job. So you have Peterson, who's not getting power in the offense and you have Wentz, who cannot get over this playoff hump, and all of a sudden you enter 2020, they start to struggle on offense, and Peterson says, I want to simplify the offense. It's what he did for Foles. It's what he did for McCown. He gave them very easy ideas. He let them make quick reads. It was heavy on RPOs. It was heavy on package plays. It was, we're going to run our base offense, make quick decisions, let the offense work for you. And Wentz said, no. I'm the starting quarterback. I'm the man. They, wanted to, they gave him a quote-unquote, Peyton Manning-like ability at the line of scrimmage to call his own plays. Back in 2017, Wentz was successful running RPOs. Wentz was successful running the offense and then occasionally making plays with his legs. All of a sudden, he wanted to walk out with five guys in the route concept and just, like, you know, Peyton Manning everybody to death. Just, like, read coverages, identify blitzers, all pre-snap. He wanted to be the guy. He wanted it to be his offense. He wanted control. Peterson wanted to simplify. Wentz wanted to hold on to the offense across the entire 2020 season they just completely lost synchronicity right like Wentz refused to take what the offense gave him you know what I mean like it was like they, they would run dragon they would run what they call like buccaneer right like two slants and an in-breaking route to one side of the formation Wentz would take it one step drop look at it and not throw it he just didn't he didn't like Greg Ward he didn't like Travis Fulgham he didn't like Jalen Rager he didn't want to throw the ball to any of them Zach Ertz is gone Alshon Jeffrey's not playing. Doesn't want to throw it. Doesn't trust Miles Sanders. He drops it. You know what I mean? Like he just did not like his weapons. He did not like his looks. So he would refuse to run the offense. And then he would start screwing around in the backfield running around. But he's not as quick as he was. He doesn't manage the pocket well. He constantly invites pressure. He couldn't break tackles. And he had no receivers who could succeed down the field, which is how they won in 2017, right? Torrey Smith, uh, Alshon Jeffrey. He had John Hightower. Hightower dropping everything 50 yards down the field. Hightower's one of the worst receivers targeted. So there was a complete lack of continuity, right? Like it was Peterson, this was his best solution with the power that he had. So he couldn't control personnel. He had coaches we didn't trust. Wentz wanted to run the whole offense. He didn't have wide receivers that he trusted. He didn't have an offensive line that he trusted. Everything was completely fractured, which is why when we talk about Wentz trades, Wentz will probably go somewhere else and look better. Because that organization will be functional. That organization will have a coaching staff that's on the same page. That organization will have a general manager who can actually evaluate and acquire talent. Roseman has drafted one pro bowler in the last seven years. It was Wentz. Everybody else has never made a pro bowl for this team. He'll have a general manager who doesn't pay significant money to Alshon Jeffrey and Deshaun Jackson, players who haven't been healthy and haven't been able to see the field. So Wentz will look better just because that organization is functional. However, if Wentz continues to style himself as like Peyton Manning, Drew Brees, I can run the entire offense from the line of scrimmage. I can make a defense wrong. He needs to understand that, that that's not how he succeeded in 2017. And that's not how he's going to be successful in the league. He, he might feel athletically like he has to be that. Cause he's not as fast as he once was, but Wentz lives on peak plays. Wentz lives on volatility. He is a high variance quarterback. And if he tries to be, let's run spacing 75 times and I'll nickel and dime you to death he's proven that he can't be that quarterback successfully. He's too volatile. His accuracy is too up and down. So what happened this year was everything, which was held together with scotch tape, bubble gum and a prayer completely fell apart. And that now this is why Wentz. He hasn't spoken to the media. He hasn't said anything about his trade requests. He, he denied end of season availability. He does not want to be in this building anymore because nobody likes or trusts anybody else in Philadelphia
1: the rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. You could quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brand specifications and prices that you prefer. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do it yourselfers. Why would you spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Make sure you write locked on in there. How did you hear about us box? So they know that we sent you. They have amazing selection reliably low prices and all the parts your car will ever need over at rockauto.com that was wild ben
0: yeah right it's pretty nuts like the bet it's it's my favorite thing to say about this is there's no way a quarterback goes at, from as good as he was in 2017 to as bad as he was in 2020 without a team effort you know what i mean mm-hmm. takes takes it takes a village to just make this much of a significant change wow i i we
1: we've all the questions that I've asked you at this point have, have led to this question, and I have 7,000 follow-up questions I want to ask That's you great. about that. But I, I think the best thing we can do is for me to just ask you this question and, and, and apply some of the dynamics, and I'm, I'm guessing a lot of the follow-ups that I had uh, to your answer here because that sounds like one unique situation that Carson Wentz has went through with a Philadelphia Eagles. So here's the big question. Is the Wentz situation – a cautionary tale for the Bills who could pay Josh Allen a mo- massive contract extension this offseason. What similarities, what differences do you see in these two situations?
0: Yes. I don't, like, it's tricky. Is it a cautionary tale for like Josh Allen as an individual? Sure, in the sense of work with your coaches, work with your receivers. Don't dig your heels in the mud and say like, this is how the offense has to be the larger cautionary tale, certainly for ownership and for, for, you know, I think ownership just period is for the Pagula family. Pagula, right? Pagula, Pagula, Pagula. You're going to lose Brian dabble eventually. That's your top offensive designer. He was awesome this year. I'm stunned. He didn't get a head coaching job. He's probably going to get one next year. The plan for Ascension for his replacement has to be good and has to involve josh allen should also you know make a big point here to say sean mcdermott who i think has been a tremendous head coach love sean mcdermott eagles great sean mcdermott by the way we made him whatever doesn't matter uh i trust mcdermott to do this well i think defensive coaches usually hire good offensive coaches because they know what they hate defending Uh, and so i i think that you're you, you should feel confident in that but the beginning of the end was when Mike grow and press Taylor were promoted in Philadelphia, even though the 2018 season wasn't bad. Cause Groh was bad. Even though the 2019 season grow was kind of made out to be a scapegoat for a lot of other problems. That was the beginning of the end because it's when the, the, the front office and ownership who already didn't trust their head coach. They never trusted Doug Peterson really started to lose faith in him. And subsequently the quarterback, really started to lose faith in the offense. It's when they, they tried to hold this thing together with what Peterson was doing, and it was unsuccessful. And that led to the, the, the... That was the first fracture, the first incongruity that led to this total dissolution that we just went through. So the big concern to me isn't paying Josh Allen. Because if you see, like... I said that that deal for Carson West was a franchise-defining deal, right? Here we are two years later, And the Eagles seem likely to trade him. They're likely to get a first-round pick from him, despite the fact that he had a historically bad season. Historically, not bad. Historically bad season in 2020. They're going to get a first and probably more for him. There there was six overall. Let's say they trade him to the Bears and they get 19 overall. With six and 19, this team can move up for Justin Fields. This team can move up for Zach Wilson. Jared Goff's deal with the Rams was supposed to be a franchise-defining deal. Two years later, Matt Stafford. They're, they're trying to make a playoff push they don't they, they the we've always thought about that mega franchise quarterback deal as locking your team in to that player to that window long term. And what we're learning, even in a COVID-affected cap year, is that teams have fully embraced this idea of like, all right, if I need to eat 40 million in dead cap, I'll eat 40 million in dead cap. Owners are letting GMs be more aggressive. They're letting them spend more crazily. And perhaps that'll change 10, 15 years down the road. But for right now, if the if the bills extend Allen on a mega deal and Allen craters, Allen falls down, the Bills can be right back where they are in two or three years. It's not as debilitating as we've seen it be. So the concern to me isn't paying Allen and then having his play crater. The concern rather is paying Allen and then letting the things around him crater. And now you're stuck with a quarterback who like the Eagles do with Wentz, you still think could be pretty doggone good, but you don't like who you have as an offensive coaching staff. You don't like the weapons you have at wide receiver. You don't like the age of your offensive line. This is all Philly's problems. So you Need to look into trading this guy because you're not sure you can get him back up to the level of play he once demonstrated. So the biggest cautionary tale to me is you can ruin a really good quarterback. You can do it. You know, there's There are your Mahomeses and there are your Bradys, but otherwise you can Mike McCarthy and Aaron Rodgers. You can Bill O'Brien and Jack Easterby and Deshaun Watson. You can Howie Roseman and Carson Wentz. This, this can be done even with these players to whatever degree they're talented. So the big cautionary tale is pay him you should the 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 way he played in 2020 if you can get that every single season you're a competitive team every single season you got to keep that young man in the building but once you do orient yourself on preparing for losing brian dabble for losing wide receivers for enduring injury on the offensive line you have to continue to work on his supporting cast and on his coaching staff to keep his level of play that high otherwise you start to welcome some of these these failures we've seen over the last few years
1: I have two follow-ups here, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask two different questions in one and then just give you the floor. Okay. What you described in Philadelphia was outrageous, Ben. Outrageous.
0: Yeah. And I- Peterson's firing uncovered a lot of stuff for us, and we were all like, holy smokes, this is crazy.
1: <laughs> so, like, we started off this conversation, and I'm like, oh, yeah, this sounds a lot like the Bills and Allen." And then, as you kept talking, I'm like, "This does not sound like the Bills and Allen." Like a lot of that stuff was, just, I mean, just mind blowing stuff. So the fact that those dynamics are far from what exists in Buffalo does, you know, to me that gives me confidence. Not only that, but also seeing the golf deal and seeing that the the. Eagles are probably going to get a one and more for Wentz. Like you kind of already talked about that, but those things working together gives me confidence about the Bills handing Josh Allen potentially 40 plus million dollars a season. The second part that I want to get into is about Brian Dable, and I thought he was going to be gone this year. I'm blown away that he's not the head coach of the Chargers right now. And maybe Eagles, the NFL tried just, to,
0: Eagles tried to hire him. He was said, like, nah, I'm staying we're not going there. No yeah. chance,
1: buddy. Yeah, he knows. He, he knew. He, he didn't even have to listen to this podcast. He knew what was up over there. But maybe there's a chance the NFL just doesn't like Dable as a head coach. I mean, he's not a super dynamic personality. He's not going to win press conferences, right? So maybe, maybe after two off seasons of him being a candidate, we can just accept that he – won't be a head coach, but maybe he will, but let's assume that he will, because I still think that, that, I mean, my goodness, the the resume is off the charts and what he's done in Buffalo is off the charts. I would want him to be my head coach. So here's, here's where I want to go with this. It has been a huge benefit to Josh Allen that he's had the same offensive coordinator since 2018 when he entered the NFL and that's Brian Dable. We know that Brian Dable runs an Earhart Perkins offense, a very complex offense offensive system right this is not mm-hmm. this is not a quarterback friendly system at all but once you get it down there's so many built-in options and so many looks that you can run that have so many variations off of them it's a great great system and here's the deal about Brian Dable Dable hasn't been a good offensive coordinator in terms of success right I mean he he's right. had his opportunities but the numbers aren't there. The numbers were there this year, right, in year three with Josh Allen because he's finally had time to gel with that quarterback and really uh, unleash the full breadth of the offensive system. So part of me thinks that's a big benefit to Josh Allen and Brian Dable, but because it is the EP system that is not kindergarten for quarterbacks, it gives me confidence that if the Bills bring, do bring in another EP guy that they should be okay. But also if they pivot and go in a different direction, that it's going to be a less complex scheme for Josh Allen, who I already believe plays above X's and O's. So I don't know that I've even asked you a question, but how do you respond to everything I I said there?
0: I, I, I see what you're barking up, right? So I think the, you know, you say, all right, the, The success they've had with Allen in the Earhart Bergen system gives me confidence that he could play in a different system and he could survive that. And the organizational structure of the bills, which is much healthier than that of the Eagles gives me confidence that they can respond to a Mm dabble departure. The third thing that I would add on top of that, because I agree with you, I'm much more confident in that than I am with what we've seen from Philadelphia is what Josh Allen's done with Jordan Palmer. So much about Allen's improvement has been coaching uh, QB coaching outside of the season. And as many have said with new CBA rules with the amount of time that you have in padded practice, you can't spend as much time on quarterback mechanics in August and camp the way that you want to, you know, your quarterbacks coach is becoming a quasi passing game coordinator because with the limited time that you have, it's about installing your passing offense. It's about figuring out how this is going to get on the field. So focus on a a quarterback in a vacuum and how he plays the game mechanically, how his processes has started to uh, lose time and started to fall away to these limited practice windows. Allen. Beyond Earhart Perkins, beyond weapons, adding Stephon Diggs, getting the offensive line right, Allen needed to become more accurate, right? Like, Allen needed to throw the ball to receivers more accurately as opposed to how he was in Wyoming and how he was early as a pro, right? Like, worse, deep accuracy. Everybody's talking about this. He did that. And and that required his approach, right? That required an individual commitment with his quarterback's coach to, to get that right. And he did. Wentz is having the same individual quarterback mechanic problems in year five as they did in year one. He still just doesn't manage a pocket. He still just doesn't, like, oh, there's pressure. I'm just going to stand here. You know what I mean? He doesn't make small pocket movements. He's still the elongated release. It's the reality of him that's going to stick around forever, right? He still overstrides when he's trying to throw with heat. It's the reality of him It's stuck around forever. And so even beyond, we've talked about organizational structure and building around your quarterback. Allen wants to improve his game. On a year-to-year basis, it seems like he's done that from year one to year two to year three, and you should feel confident, given his personality, given his character, that he's going to want to continue to improve, even now that he's a Dark Horse MVP candidate and so very good, and so on and so forth. Wentz wants the coaching staff to do a better job giving him concepts that he likes, right? Wentz a, played a little bit of a, a surly toddler this year, and he said, "Like, why isn't the offense good enough for me, buddy? You you got to throw a swing route accurately. Like, let's have a conversation. You got to." you know, throw the five yard dig in when you're given the five yard in, you got to make that choice. You know, you got to play with the system here a little bit. So there's a lot of reasons to be more confident in Allen. I think that, that, like you said, that the complexity of the dabble offense is a big one. I, I think that that that's a good point because if you end up giving Allen a more simple West coast style, the McVeigh offense that we've been seeing, you should feel confident in how he reads that out. He's already, like you say, playing above the X's and O's. All of that's true. I also think just him as a dude and the way that he has, been supported in Buffalo is a big deal. There, the whole like Eagles ruined Wentz by drafting Hurts and and loving Foles and whatever gets overblown, but it has a nugget of truth to it. Wentz has never felt secure as the starting franchise quarterback, probably since the end of the 2017 season when Foles won the Super Bowl. Allen threw bad play has been very supported by the Bills. You are our guy. We're, we're dedicating resources to you. And in turn, Allen said, all right, I'm going to lock it down in the offseason. I'm going to get better uh, to, to return on that investment. That's very healthy, uh, and that's turned out well. So that's where you have your confidence. In the event that things go nuclear, the way they did in Philadelphia, then you also come to recognize that teams are doing a better job solving issues around their franchise quarterbacks and big franchise deals than they ever had before. That gives you the flexibility to, to make that big deal, to sign that big deal and feel confident that you have an escape hatch if you need it.
1: I, I feel the need to say this now because you talked about the organizational commitment that the Bills have had to Josh Allen. And I want to take that a step further because coming out of 2019, where Josh Allen played better, but there were still some warts in his game, and I go back to the Houston playoff loss where the Bills blew a 16-point lead and Josh Allen came off the rails in the second half of that game. It would have been very easy for the Bills right then and there to put the training wheels on Josh Allen and um, you know, really draw a line in the the sand in terms of stylistically how he's going to have to play if he's going to continue to be the quarterback. Well, you know what they did? They traded for Stefan Diggs, they run 10 personnel, and they throw the ball more than anyone in the league. That's how they responded to Josh Allen coming off the rails in the second half against Houston that led to a playoff loss. I, I mean, that gives me a lot of confidence in this organization and their commitment to Josh Allen and continuing to evolve that relationship in a healthy way. So, Ben, as we close here, you know, we found reasons to talk about Josh Allen. It feels like a lot, right? Whether it's been on this podcast, uh, privately, we 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 you do a lot of work on Josh Allen and the Bills, and I always value what you bring to the table. So, is there anything else that you want to get out? Is there any talking points? Is there any f- way that you feel about Josh Allen that uh, this would be the opportunity to kind of say some of those things and tie a ribbon on this discussion?
0: I think I think I, uh, the most interesting thing for me with Allen moving forward is. I didn't think he was ever going to be this good, right? Anybody who's followed TDN for a couple years knows most of us were worried about Allen. I was the lowest on Allen of everybody, right? I just didn't see it, didn't get it. That he is this good is a testament to a ton of things, most of which we've gone over, his individual commitment, the Bills, how they built that team around him, shout out Brandon Bean, greatest GM ever, whatever. In that he has already gone beyond what I thought he could, the question of how much further he can go is fascinating. Wentz, we have not talked about a quarterback, save for Patrick Mahomes, the way we talked about Wentz after 2017. And by we, I mean like the national media, like that wasn't Philadelphia. After Wentz's 2017 season, it was, oh my gosh, this is it. This is the guy, right? And then obviously Mahomes came in and Mahomes became the guy. But even like you see the way fan bases talk about Deshaun Watson, and they don't really get it in terms of how good this guy is, right? The the let Russ cook and everything like that. Well, we've seen... Russ in a heavy passing offense, and we know kind of his limitations. Kyler over two years. Oh, Cliff Kingsbury's bad. Yeah, but he can't throw in the middle of the field. Like, even the the really sexy young quarterbacks coming in, Wentz's post-2017 discourse was bananas. He's obviously not that guy. He's obviously not the, you know, successor to Brady as the best quarterback, contender with Mahomes. He just isn't. He'll, He'll never be that dude. I don't believe it the best quarterback who has a chance to be that guy now is Allen. But even Allen has to get better from where he is to enter that conversation, right, in terms of, like, could duel with Mahomes on any given Sunday, right? It's the taking an 18-yard sack instead of taking a five-yard sack, right? It's the, uh, you know, the, the willingness to hold on the, the football and move in the pocket instead of make the subtle movements to just Buy an extra half second it's the fact that he doesn't have a good running back check down game right now and doesn't have the ability to beat drop a and, and to throw those shallow stuff so on and so forth it's some of the limitations that that still exist in that offense with brian dabble with these weapons with josh allen so it's not just him but it's the it's the whole idea in that i was low on Allen coming out and it, like 2019 is really where i started to change my mind and then obviously 2020 was better even than, than i thought it could be i'm worried that this is the best he'll ever play because it feels like once somebody gets close to Mahomes, even for a stretch, they immediately fall down. You know what I mean? It's like Icarus flying too close to the sun. Like, you just can't sustain it. But because I didn't think Allen was ever going to get here, I'm not confident in my own prognostication that Allen can't get better. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, it's clear I didn't understand just how much natural talent this guy has and understand how much his character meant to his development. Uh, so I, I feel confident in saying that our best chance to get a contender – Against Mahomes over the next couple years of football is Josh Allen. I don't think it's Justin Herbert. I don't think it's Russell Wilson. Aaron Rodgers like kind of maybe, but also he's 38, so it doesn't really count like that. You know, like to me, like the next generation of quarterbacks, if it'll be defined by Mahomes and blank, to me the the most confident I am in a guy being in that blank is Allen. But still, there's 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 work to be done, and so it's his 2021 season, especially because he got another season of dabble, which is a big deal that 2021 season is going to tell us a lot about if if Mahomes truly has dominance over the next 10 years or if Allen's going to like be in that conversation with him on a pure talent level which is thrilling it's crazy to think about uh, as it was a lot of fun so how much better this guy can get is to me the most fascinating conversation around him
1: let me finish with this yesterday I had a conversation with Nate Geary WGR550 on the Bills offense and that was kind of a uh after i spent a week and a half talking about the position groups on the bills offense and and really unpacking the big questions and talking about the the personnel and and all of that as we consider the bills offense 501 points last year number 2 in yards number 2 in scoring in the nfl the best offense the buffalo bills have ever put on the field not close and you think about the low hanging fruit that exists for this offense to get better whether that is the running game which was terrible this past year and just I think there's some obvious ways that that can get better. If you consider the tight end production, the Bills were 30th in the NFL in receptions for tight ends, 29th in yards. Is there does that gain confidence with you? This team was good without John Brown helping it. He played less than half the snaps right. and had 33 catches. You know, Gabriel Davis is going off. Like does do those dynamics give you confidence in this offense and Josh Allen being better next year or do you worry about, well, as you try to get the running game and the tight end production up, well, there's going to be naturally drop-offs everywhere else?
0: I'd worry about a new coordinator coming in and caring about that. I don't think Dable will. I don't think Dable will be like, Dawson Knox, you know, he's going to catch two touchdowns for us. He's going to catch 35 passes. We're going to have a good time. Like, you know, that's it. Running back does worry me. Uh, you know what I mean? Eventually there will be a defense with a defensive coordinator with enough balls to just be like, run it on me. Just do it. Just, I'm not going to lose to Allen. Just, we're going to put four dudes in the box, right? Yeah. I did a I I at the beginning of that, uh, who did they play? Not the Chiefs, before the Chiefs. Ravens? Colts? Ravens, Ravens. Before the Ravens game, I was going through prop betting and they were like, oh, Devin Singletary, 12 and a half carries. And I was like, what are you guys talking about? I took the under on every single Singletary thing. And before the game, I said like, excited for Brian Dabble to call this game and not call a run the whole game as a joke I tweeted it out and then the first half they just didn't which (laughs) is amazing like it's just awesome right Right. like why not you know what I mean you have a nuclear weapon you know like it's just you you, this is what you do so I'm worried about a lack of the running game because like you said with the Patriots it's just eventually they're just gonna dare you to beat them with Zach Moss and Devin Singletary so that freaks me out a little bit uh overall though no what I what will concern me is I think if we take a little bit of a wider perspective that Bill's defense needs improvements they need a better edge. They, they got to be able to rush a passer. You know what I mean? Like, they, uh, Addison wasn't a, a, what they wanted. AJ Epinesa is not necessarily going to be like an edge one. Jerry Hughes getting a little bit older. They need to improve there. Interior defensive line probably does as well. Now you've talked about linebacker. I'm sure you talked about corner two and Josh Norman. As Leslie Frazier, again, like they got to hold on to this guy for a year, and that's great. Mm-hmm. But Leslie was on the head coaching cycle the same way Brian Dabble was. Eventually, you know, you feel like a competing team, you feel like a, a high caliber, high octane competitive offense. And you start saying as a general manager, let's spend some money on corner. Let's spend some money on edge. And all of a sudden you think you can replace John Brown with Gabriel Davis. And maybe you can, maybe you get away with that one. All of a sudden you feel like you can replace Daryl Williams with Tynaseki. And maybe you can, maybe you get away with that one, but but you start to get some resources into the defense to try to level out this team and be a lead on offense, a lead on defense. And that's where you have to be able to, to, you know, like as everybody's famously said, they built this Bills offense in two years, free agents in the draft. They hit on every single one. Eventually you don't. And and that's the worry is that you're going to try to get a little bit cheaper, a little bit later picks on offense to try to improve on defense a touch. And that's where, you know, you, you really have to get your edges, right? Like you said, John Brown didn't play for half of the season but John Brown's a big deal when they get a field stretcher on the field, like he's critical for them and, and they're not always going to come cheap and they're not always going to come easy and they're not always going to be right. And so sustaining this level of offense, once the resources start to dry up a little bit and the draft picks become that much more critical, that's, that's always, that's a big test for every team, every competitive team in every window. That's always the case is eventually you just start missing on a pick here missing a free agent signing there. And the margins for error become a lot smaller.
1: Man, tremendous conversation, man! This uh, exceeded the expectations I had. I-, I warned you that I wanted to do this, like somewhere in January. I'm like, hey, man, we're gonna do this at some point, and um, it-, it exceeded my expectations. So, thanks for your preparation and delivering what I thought was an outstanding appearance here on the
0: podcast. No, of course, it's always it's equal parts fun to talk about the Eagles' insanity and also just talk about a really good football team. But like at, at, at when you're passionate about team building, right? When you cover the draft, yeah. the Bills are the best team to talk about. They're so much fun because they did it so well. So yeah, get Jeremiah owusu get a good corner, get an edge, and beat the Chiefs next year. I want to see it. Don't let John Brown out of the building.
1: Yes. Restructure a is the deal. Whatever Smoke you brown,
0: t- baby. We love them. I hear
1: you on that. Ben, thanks so much for joining me, and thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Tomorrow is going to be Herd Mentality. I wanted to get our two conversations uh, with, uh, with Nate, obviously, on Monday and Ben today uh, early in the week so we can do Herd Mentality on Wednesday. So don't miss that. It's coming your way tomorrow. Make sure that you're subscribed. Rate, review, and share the podcast. And I look forward to catching up with you again on Wednesday.